Hi, Art Curious listeners. Jennifer here to introduce some bonus episodes for you this season. And as I mentioned in my announcement a few weeks back, we are running live bonus shows on Fireside, which is an interactive storytelling platform. Each show, which I will be planning and announcing in advance, so be sure to watch your social media feeds, Each show will feature an interview with a special guest, especially including authors, art historians, and more. And last week, we began with the poet and author Molly Peacock on her luscious new book, Flower Diary, about the long-neglected American floral painter Mary Heaster Reed. This book is an absolute delight, and I loved speaking with Molly, who is also absolutely delightful. So I am sharing our live conversation with you here today, warts and all, with hopes that you'll enjoy it and that you'll also join us next time on Fireside. Because, again, each Fireside show will not only air live, but it will also be interactive. So audience members like you can be part of the show and help shape our content. So right now, I am looking for questions from you, which you can deliver either live in the show or questions that you can send me in advance via social media or email and that I can answer on the show. So here we go. Please enjoy this conversation between me and Molly Peacock. Good afternoon, everyone. Hi, Molly. Hello, Jennifer. (laughs) I think we want to give people hopefully a couple more minutes just to make sure that they can populate in here. And it is okay if people want to pop in and out or if they want to join us late, but just want to welcome everybody in the audience. And please feel free to let us know in the React if you have any questions or if you need anything, you can always populate it, hopefully, in our little chat area. And I also wanted to let everyone know that there is a link to buy Molly's book. If you haven't already gotten yourself a copy, you can do so by clicking on that little fortune cookie that is right underneath the uh virtual auditorium. And that link will take you directly to the Amazon page to buy it. So let's give it another minute or so. How are you doing? I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to share the story of Mary Heaster Reed in Flower Diary. Oh, my goodness. I am so happy to have you here. And I know that we've had the chance to speak together for a little bit over the last couple of days. But I am just so thrilled to have you joining me. And this is actually my very first fireside as a host. So hopefully everything will go very smoothly. But I appreciate everybody um, taking the opportunity to try this out with me. And Molly, I super appreciate you being my guinea pig, as I called you yesterday. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I appreciate that, too. It's my first fireside as a guest. So my fingers are crossed and I'm ready to go. All right. Hopefully it looks like we have at least somebody in the studio at the moment with us. But again, people can listen back onto this on the replay. And I'll also be posting this as a bonus episode for the Art Curious podcast. So for people who aren't familiar with Art Curious, it is a podcast that I have been doing for the last five years that explores what I like to call the unexpected, slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. So I want to tell stories that you might not know 
normally have heard if you took any art history courses in high school or college, or even if you are already a big fan of art, maybe these are things that can be still new or entertaining or both to you. So I am excited to try this version of the show out on uh, Fireside because typically I have not in the past done interviews. And I, over the years, started realizing that was such a lost opportunity because there are so many amazing books out there that have come my way in the past couple of years, especially. And Flower Diary is one of them that I was uh, told about earlier this year. And I thought, you know what, this is the perfect opportunity to start sharing this more with my audience. And so, Molly, I would love to give you a little bit of an introduction. So for those who aren't familiar, biographer and distinguished poet Molly Peacock is the author of Flower Diary, in which Mary Heaster Reed paints, travels, marries, and opens a door. And also The Paper Garden, Mrs. Delaney brings her life's work at 72, as well as seven volumes of poetry, including The Analyst, Poems, and the memoir Paradise Piece by Piece. She is the co-creator of Poetry in Motion on the New York City subways and the founder of the Best Canadian Poetry Series in Toronto. Molly is a dual American-Canadian citizen who lives in Toronto and also teaches at the 92nd Street Y in New York City. Molly, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today here. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm an art-curious podcast fan, so <laughs> it's really an honor uh, to be your first interview. My goodness. I'm excited to have you again, as I mentioned, and hopefully I will do a good job of asking some interesting questions for you today. So I want you to please go ahead and give us a little bit of a brief introduction to the book. What is Flower Diary about? Who specifically is Flower Diary about? Flower Diary is about Mary Heaster Reed, and that is a name you should know. She was an amazing late 19th and early 20th century painter of luscious floral still lifes and atmospheric landscapes. She was one of the first generation of women painters to get married and not stop painting. Right. She was a foremother of the Georgia O'Keeffe generation, and she was an impressionist, a tonalist, and a realist all at once, <laughs> producing <laughs> over 300 oil paintings. That so was... I hope that's a good enough introduction. Oh, my us. gosh. No, that's fantastic. I love that you talk about how she is a name that we should know, because again, until I was introduced to your book, I did not know her name. And I, I try to give myself a little forgiveness and grace about not knowing every single artist in the world. <laughs> but I was embarrassed because it is amazing once you read your book and you start looking at these gorgeous images, how wonderful she is, but how zero I knew about her. So how did you actually discover her and decide to write about her for this book? I'll tell you, I was asked to give uh, a talk about a single painting at the Art Gallery of Ontario in Toronto. So I said, have you got any flower paintings by 19th century women? I had written about an 18th century artist, and now I wanted to switch centuries and switch continents. I wanted to stay home and write my next book. And the curator led me to a painting that I had walked past many times, because at the time it was hung salon style about knee level, and I had just <laughs> on my knees had kept going past it. And there was a study in grays, and it is this luscious, 
gorgeous painting that that belies its name. Yes, it is grays, but those grays are built up pinks and violets and very sensual roses. There are three clumps of roses in this painting. And then there are three objects. There's a big pewter plate in the background. And then there's a sort of maternal looking jug. Um, and then there's this sort of sylph-like young jug. Um, <laughs> and uh, and that th and the painting is divided into three and there's three objects and there's three groups of flowers. And I thought, what's with this triangulation? And I'll stop there because I do have an answer, but I'll just stop there for the moment. Absolutely. No, when you're describing her paintings, it was really something that I found wonderful about your book, because even though there are these really beautiful, luscious illustrations therein, it was also the way that you would write to describe her work with your words that really allowed me to feel like I was diving into them, like I was there looking at them. I even and though I Googled a couple of the things that weren't replicated in the book, <laughs> I felt like I didn't have to, though, because you were able to describe them so beautifully. Now, when oh, you... Oh, please continue. I'm sorry. Thank you. I really tried hard to describe them. I wanted people... I, I wasn't sure how many illustrations would be reproduced. And, and I thought, I want to give people a deep dive into this. And I also want friends who are in the visually challenged world to be able to get a sensuous apprehension of them, a tactile and, and a sense of the surfaces. So I really, I use all my poet's powers to try to make those descriptions. I think you did a very good job. I think your poetry comes through so well. And it really, to me, it feels like you are the ideal person to write this book or to have written this book because Mary Heaster Reed's works, they feel very poetic to me, even though I don't know or have a whole lot of background in poetry per se. But again, just the way that you were able to describe them, I, I feel like this is such a unique biography. And I actually wanted to talk a little bit about that form, because this for sure isn't a traditional biography in terms of a very, I guess, sometimes dry way that people talk and say, <laughs> Mr. was born and blah, blah, blah. And their grandfather lived in the Old West and was a coal miner, these kind of things. It just seems like every biography I read begins with paternal grandfather and then drags <laughs> you very slowly into the third or fourth chapter when suddenly the protagonist is born. But your book isn't like that at all. It's very beautiful. And I mentioned to you briefly yesterday that something about your writing, again, it must be that poetic sensibility, makes me feel like when I was reading it that I was almost in some kind of dream or a trance. And even while I was reading even just a small couple of chapters at a time, if something happened, like my son needed my attention, or I went to go grab a load of laundry or anything, it felt like I had to shake myself awake a little bit because I felt so immersed in the writing. And part of that, I wonder, I want to ask about the way that you formatted things. So could you talk a little bit about the interludes that you've injected in there and how you decided to format the book? Sure, sure. When I wanted to make that immersive experience, I wanted 
people like like you, like all any anyone reading this, to be able to plunge into the 19th century, to smell what Mary Hester Reed smelled, to touch what Mary Hester Reed touched, to have that experience. And I think that might contribute to that part of the trance of being deep, deep down into this woman and what she was seeing, hearing and feeling. And I also created the book so that each chapter would begin with one of her art books. And I'm so happy that the book was reproduced with an illustration for each of the 34 chapters. But there are also interludes. And the interludes in this book are actually printed on this sort of silvery green paper. And they tell a little bit of the biographer's story because I uh, was writing, am writing, that's my approach to biography, is a footstep biography. I wanted to literally be in her steps as much as I could. And because she was married and had this long marriage to another painter, and it was a very thrilling but fraught and difficult marriage, I asked my husband at the time, to come along with me in on some of these journeys. And I wrote about that in these interludes. So there's a 21st century woman looking at a 19th and early 20th century woman, a 21st century marriage, a woman and her husband looking back into a very binary world, uh, by the way, and a deeply sexist world. As, and that's, so the whole structure of the book brings in contemporary life as we're looking at the lives in the past. I think that was one of the reasons why I felt so engaged in reading this book, because it didn't feel like you were keeping us as readers at a distance. It felt like you were bringing us in not only again to the works but and to Mary Houston Reed's life, but into your life, which makes for such an intimate and really beautiful read. But when you were talking about a footstep biography, I, I love that phrase so much. And so you talk about that you went to very specific places that Mary went to. Where did you end up going while you were researching and working on this book? Oh, she was a traveler. She was born uh, just outside of Philadelphia, but then she was raised in Wisconsin. After her mother died, her father was already dead. So she she was a, an orphaned at 21. She went back to Philadelphia and there met George Agnew Reed, her future husband, at the famous Philadelphia Academy, uh, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And after they finished there, having studied with Thomas Aikens, they went to Paris on their honeymoon and went to Spain. They ran out of money. They came back to North America <laughs> and didn't, didn't go back to Philadelphia. They went to Toronto because George was Canadian. And she ended up in a studio two blocks away from my house where I live now. And oh so then later on, they went back to Paris and studied in Paris. Then she wrote a travelogue and all about her journeys through Spain. And I tracked her footsteps through Spain, visited where she lived in Paris, went to museums that she went to, certainly went that she adored in London, and then went to the Antiora Artist Colony back in North America 
in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains that was a hotbed of arts and crafts theory and architecture and living so that and, and was hosted there and got to to see the places that she lived. So it was really, I, I think I got to just about everywhere. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Let alone being able to write about her, but to literally be where she was. That must have been quite a heady experience, a really amazing experience. It really was because just to be in those studios at the um, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, there there is just a, a feeling and um, just the way the light is coming through the windows. I thought she saw this light. And amazingly, her, the places that she lived are still very much also inhabited by artists. So in, in Paris, it's a small artist community. And then her husband built uh, a fabulous house for them, one of the most magical houses in Toronto in Witchwood Park with side-by-side his and hers studios. And I was uh, privileged to be able to enter that house as well. Now, you mentioned at the very beginning, I think it was even in the the first few pages of the book, that people were warning you that this would be a very difficult project for you to work on because there weren't a whole lot of surviving letters and diaries. So how did you go about your research? What did you rely upon to build out the story? I, I decided I was going to have to build this book from the outside in a way. So I'm looking at uh, newspapers at, at the time and I'm looking at, I thought they didn't have children. I started to investigate 19th century birth control. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? I learned so much. <laughs> Seriously. And then also, because there was a biography of her husband, I could construct a chronology of their lives. And I also, I have to thank the art historian who did work on Mary Heaster Reed and on George Agnew Reed and on the third painter, because we haven't talked about the third person in their marriage, Mary Evelyn Rinch, 25 years younger, a really talented painter, very much worth looking up, Google her. Mm -hmm, For Uh, sure. (laughs) And... So I constructed three chronologies, Mary Rinch's life, Mary Heaster Reed's life, George Agnew Reed's life, saw where they were at various times, saw the ways in which they interacted, interconnected, plus had the exterior research of the times and and the information about the places and my own senses. I, I am a poet. I trust my senses and trust my, just my describing my own experiences as I encountered places she was in. And there are a few key letters still surviving that were saved by a friend. Oh, so while wow. there's no actual diary that said, oh, George was sleeping with Mary Rich tonight <laughs> or something <laughs> like that, uh, I could still put them in proximity and I could subtle, nuanced, but deeply researched. It took me eight years to write this book picture of what was going on in these three artists' lives. That is a truly incredible achievement. And that's a very long time. So you obviously had to really live and breathe these people's lives a little bit, not even a little bit, entirely for so long. (laughs) 
There's still more to my conversation with Molly Peacock, so come right back right after this message to hear the rest. There's a lot more to art than Baroque paintings and marble statues. There are all kinds of art out there. Art cars, nail art, famous paintings recreated on charred toast. And then there's another underrated art form, shopping for car or home insurance. Once this took postmodern artists hours or even days to find their perfect policy. But now you can discover your policy masterpiece in minutes with The Zebra. The Zebra compares home and car quotes from every major insurance company in under five minutes, giving you all the facts that you need to make the right decision. It's the fastest way to find the right coverage at the right price, all from a provider who you can trust. In fact, the Zebra saves people on average $922 a year on home and auto combined. That's more than most macaroni artists can make in a lifetime. Finding the right insurance can be a time-consuming process, but when I used the Zebra, it kept me on one site instead of having to ping-pong around to other sites to get all the details I needed from every provider. With the Zebra, I can do it all in one place fast and easily. So get your perfect home or car insurance policy. Compare quotes for free and start saving at thezebra.com art. That's thezebra.com art. When it comes to my socks, they must be comfortable. And Bombas socks are the most comfortable I've ever worn. But that's just one reason why I love them. The other is the good that I'm doing by being a Bombas customer. For every Bombas item you buy, they donate an item to those experiencing homelessness. Bombas started making socks after learning that the number one most requested item in homeless shelters is socks. And then they started making underwear and shirts too. Bombas socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft and made to last. With their 100% happiness guarantee, they are confident that you will be happy with your Bombas products or your money back. From fabric to fit to feel, everything Bombas makes is made to feel good on everyone. I ordered myself a pair of Bombas's merino wool ankle socks, and they are the softest, most luxurious socks I've ever had. Perfect for these chilly fall evenings at home, but also excellent for when I'm on the go, because like other Bombas socks, they've got the Bombas honeycomb arch support system, their blister tabs that protect your heel from chafing, and so much more. Plus, they are so colorful and stylish, too. And get this, thanks to Bombas customers, they've just donated their 50 millionth clothing item. That's 50 million brand new pairs of socks, underwear, and shirts given to those in need. There's so much more comfort to have and so much more to give with Bombas. So get 20% off your first order at bombas.com slash artcurious. That is B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash artcurious for 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash artcurious. I know for a fact that many of you who listen to Art Curious are artists, designers, and creative professionals. And I have a question for you. Are you struggling to get noticed, to land that dream job, or win new clients? We know that having a website, a place where we can show off our work, is an essential tool to boost your creative career. So why not try it with a dot .design domain to make your portfolio stand out from the crowd? Right now, you can get your .design domain for free for one year by using the coupon code ARTCURIOUS at PORKBUN.COM. Unlike .com, a .design domain is relevant to who you are and what you do. 
and unlike social media, a .design domain is a professional, legitimizing platform that you control. .design is already used by thousands of successful freelancers, agencies, and global brands like Adobe, Dropbox, Spotify, Slack, Amazon, and Indeed. So whether you're looking to refresh your existing website or establish your online brand for the first time, a .design domain is the way to go. And grabbing it through Porkbun is the easiest way to make it happen. Porkbun has everything you need to manage your digital footprint, from email and hosting to security and privacy protection. And plus, they've got a super fun name. So go to www.porkbun.com TLD design now and use the coupon code ARTCURIOUS to get one year of dot .design for free. That's porkbun.com TLD, T as in Tom, L as in Larry, D as in David, slash design and use the coupon code are curious. So talking about the shadow Mary, talking about Mary Evelyn, could you talk a little bit about that? That was something that you were so wonderful about in talking about this theme of triangles and triads that you've discovered not only in their lives, but in Mary Heaster Reed's works themselves. I love that you point out those little connections. Could you talk a little bit about that sort of fraught? Yes, it was complex. And I saw it in that very first painting that I encountered. I saw all of those threes. I said to the curator, Georgiana Oyarik at the AGO, what's with all this triangulation? Mm-hmm. And she told me a story of when Mary Heaster Reed was unfortunately seized with heart trouble and it was toward the end of her life. And Mary Evelyn Rinch, 25 years younger, she had been her student. She and George had taken this young woman with them to Antiora to study with them to at the Arts and Crafts Artist Colony in the Catskills. George then painted a portrait of Mary (laughs) Evelyn Wrench, and it's a very loving portrait. And I I began to track that where Mary Evelyn Wrench got very close to their lives, suddenly the Reeds up and left their studio and went and traveled. That's when they (laughs) went to Europe. And I began to see that Mary Evelyn Wrench was a, a daughter figure, a rival fig, future friend for George, a romantic figure. Who knows, that could have been romantic figure for Mary as well. I'm, I really try to give a full picture, but not, this isn't a novel, even though I hope it's a page turner, I'm sticking to the facts. But then when he actually builds Mary Evelyn Rinch a house, next to the house he builds for himself and his wife. At that point, when Mary is is dying, she says, uh, she is said to have said to Mary Evelyn, George will be needing a wife. Mm -hmm. And I think it should be you. (laughs) And when I heard that, and then saw this paint, another painting of three roses that she did, in that first summer where they took the younger painter with them to the Catskill Mountains. Mm -hmm. And I see the two roses together on one side of this milk pitcher and the other rose flopping, hanging lonely on its end (laughs) and the petals sifting down as if they were teardrops onto the table. 
I thought, wow, this is a deeply emotional painting and I know exactly the circumstances in which it was painted. I, I was able to describe this and let it be a kind of anchor in the book. I love that. And talking about that element that you're able to really read those still lifes as a form of self-portraiture, mm -hmm. can you talk about that a little bit more? I, I know that sometimes in the past there's been this uh, idea of a feminine sensibility and of a gender bias against women who are painting florals or floral elements. And I don't feel that at all in her work. I think there is such interest and strength in a lot of these beautiful works. Could you talk a little bit about how the her subject matter, her chosen subject matter falls yes, into? Yes, in some ways it's a chosen subject matter mm -hmm. because she was super good at it. And these flowers act, they're like actors on a stage. It's as if they have human bodies. They're grabbed at their waists in these vases as if the vase was a corset. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the dress flows out uh, from it. So she she took the restriction of having to be a floral still life painter and then later a landscape painter. She took that to the, to, to the max of her talent for sure. But women were discouraged from figure painting. Mm -hmm. And at the time, men painted the big historical multi-figured large paintings, and women were supposed to paint smaller work, which she did. Her works are, you know, much significantly smaller than her husband's enormous paintings and murals. And they were supposed to paint the feminine subject, which is flowers, and that got a bad rap in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. So when George O'Keefe starts painting those great big flowers, like really looking those, each flower in the face, it's painters like Mary Houston Reed that in some way she's reacting against, but also it's a painter like Mary Houston Reed who led this life as both a deeply committed painter who was also in a deeply committed marriage, however fraught the marriage was, that's a role model for a painter like uh, George O'Keefe. So it, it's, it's complex and fascinating. It wasn't completely her choice to, to paint that subject, but once she did it, I mean, she just grabbed it and went with it. Do you have a favorite painting? Is it The Three Roses? Or is it a well, I have one? to say, yes, I, I think that is my favorite painting of hers. I was able to buy it at an auction oh uh, where gosh. people weren't interested in paintings. And I don't say this story in the book, but this is just for our conversation. I was, at the, I was at the dentist and I was bidding online <laughs> um, and, I, and the dentist came in and I said, could you put, just put the freezing in? And then in, in the couple of minutes that I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> to be numbed, <laughs> I, I, um, this auction is closing. I'm going to put in a bid. And I waited until the last couple of minutes. I put my bid in and I got this painting of the three roses which I saw online but then when it actually arrived and I saw the depth of it I thought I am so lucky I'm so lucky because I don't have the kind of means that I'm not an art collector by mm -hmm. any stretch of the imagination but to be able to bid on it when everybody else was bidding on 
jewelry and other kinds of things. It, it didn't belong in the auction. It was, it hangs on my wall and it's such a privilege to be able to look at it and also know that it was painted at such a fraught moment in her life. Oh my goodness. I can't think of anybody who deserves to own one of her works than you. <laughs> I mean, doing so much work and deep dive on her herself. Oh my goodness. What a treat. I am also not an art collector, but I wish I could be. So I hope that maybe someday I can dabble in very small elements. I had another question about you. You were hinting at the fact that florals, especially in the 20th century, as the century progressed, took were considered not that interesting, especially as modernism started picking up seriously. How did Mary Heaster Reed fall out of favor? Or how come we don't know her as a big name? Yes, we, I, we, do, we don't know her. And she, she showed in the Chicago Exposition. She showed in the Louisiana Exposition. Exposition. She she was connected to so many painters, so many specifically women painters and, and women designers like Candace Wheeler. But her work, even though it was well reviewed in her day, the reviews got smaller and smaller as modernism loomed larger and larger. And in Canada, as the group of seven became more and more popular, so. After she, after she died, she was, there was a retrospective exhibition of her work put on by her friends and by George and his new wife, Mary Evelyn Rinch, so that you'd think that would have anchored her reputation, but it really did not. It just, she fell out of favor as a, as the, that sort of high testosterone modernism, hard-edged modernism came into vogue. And she was not the, remotely interested in that. She was interested in time and in emotion. She was called a sympathetic realist. And, and that word sympathy, I track the origins of it in, into its transformation into empathy. And so she's an emotional artist and a woman, this is a recipe for losing a rep reputation. Flowers, oh, emotion, female. Right. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> she is just practically erased until the 21st century when two uh, art historians, Brian Foss and Janice Anderson, set about to rescue her and mounted a show at the Art Gallery of Ontario. But it is... It, then she, she began to creep into people's consciousnesses again. There are holdings. She does have poems. Uh, I almost said poems. Poetic <laughs> <laughs> paintings in, in, in collections in the United States. But she, even significant curators and art historians really don't know about her. It's, it, it's been a, a job. It's a job, but a, a pleasure to let people know, to discover her. That's the great thing about being a biographer as well as being a poet, that chance to discover someone from the past who's so talented, who did such gorgeous work, but lived at a time where, she, where her reputation was just absolutely plowed under. 
and to bring it to light. I'm so thankful that you did because, again, it was such a pleasure to learn about her and to view her works. And now I want to go to the Art Gallery of Ontario and see her works in person. So is that the best place that we could go to see them? In yes, no, yes, you can go to the National Gallery of Canada in Ottawa and the Art Gallery of Ontario. They have the largest collections, but there are many regional museums that also have collections. And in the book, the, the ECW Press made a commitment to the book. It's, it's a biography, but... It's printed as if it were an art book with the quality of paper that allows these illustrations to really pop. If you can't, if you can't go to see her work, you can encounter these paintings in, in Flower Diary itself. And if we have a minute or two at the end of our conversation, and you can tell me how to turn my video on because it seems to have disappeared from my page of the app. I oh, will I, show I you one of the paintings. <laughs> uh, but if not, I know that many of the images are on my website and are widely available. I think that is fantastic. I had a couple just for fun lightning round questions that I thought sure. we could do really quickly. So if you want to do that, and then after I can try to turn on the interview mode and we will do that vis uh, visual aspect. Sounds so, good to me. <laughs> okay. Lightning round. Let's give it a shot. So okay. favorite flower. Geranium. Favorite um, artists besides Mary Heaster Reed. Voyard. Nice. What is your, your favorite recent book that you've read? My favorite recent book is The Poetics of Space by Gaston Bachelard. Ooh, very nice. What makes you most proud right now? Oh, I have to say it's this book. <laughs> good, very good reason. Good answer. <laughs> Flower Diary. It's it. <laughs> what is your favorite time period Again, right now, it's late 19th, early 20th century, just when women are gathering themselves up through the suffrage movement and about to get the vote. Love it. Can you describe your writing style in three words? <gasps> oh, deep, slow, vivid. I love it. Okay, <laughs> last question. What is your hidden talent? Ooh, I, I can cook. <laughs> That's a good hidden talent. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Molly. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to turn on interview mode so people can see me here in my striped shirt. Hopefully, if you go down to the little lines in the circle at the bottom left of your screen, yes, you should hopefully be able to turn on interview mode. Okay. Oh, I'm inviting got, you right um, now. Whoops. Hang on. Oh, I'm turning it on. I've accepted. Excellent. And all right. We Hello, Jennifer. Here we are. Here we are in person. I and know, I'm taking I love it. you. I'm going to take you over here to my wall. And first, I hope you can see this. This is a Mary painting that is not in the book. It's called Daisies in a Flow Blue Sugar Bowl. And that, that I, I, I recently acquired. And now I'm just going to see if I can do this. Can you see this? I'm not sure. The three, is it the three roses? Let me see if I, this is the three roses. 
Now I'm holding it in front of my face. Can you see it? <laughs> yes. Yes, I can. All right. Okay. I'm scanning it, but I'm behind. I can't see exactly what I'm doing, but I just wanted you to get a little glimpse of three roses. I there it is. It. Thank you so, so much. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. I love this visual component because we are talking art after all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's again, important. like what a treat because it's this little bonus that we get to enjoy the work in your home. It doesn't get much better than that in my personal opinion. It, it satisfies the curiosity in art curious. <laughs> oh, yes, for sure. I love that. Molly, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for writing this book, first of all, and then agreeing to be on this live bonus episode of Art Curious. And I want to remind everybody who's in our studio to buy a copy of the book. The link is right there, nice and easy, right under our screens here. And Molly, I hope to be in touch with you again soon. I'm looking forward to sharing this with my full audience next week when I'll release it on the podcast. And thank you again. I think this was really fun. I think we did a good job. I, I, I had a great time and I want to thank you. I'm really, I'm honored that you chose me for this fireside adventure and that I also am so gratified that you have that same warm feeling toward Mary Easter Reed that I do. Thanks so My much. My goodness, you are completely to blame for that warmth <laughs> because you brought it to me. And again, I'm, I'm so thankful. The book is gorgeous and congratulations. I am so pleased to have been able to benefit from reading this book and to know you. And I hope that maybe we can talk again in a future conversation on and I hope so too. Okay. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening more soon. Thank you listeners for tuning into this bonus episode recorded live on Fireside. So join me next time, watch our social media announcements for our live shows, and please send me your questions any questions about all things art curious in advance. You can talk about this book and other books that we'll be discussing this season, which I'll share shortly, or even talk about past episodes or strange stories in art that you want me to discuss. So email me at jennifer at artcuriouspodcast.com or by sharing those questions live at Fireside. Register today for a free Fireside account by using my link, which is www.firesidechat.com slash Jennifer Dassel. And Dassel, by the way, is spelled D as in David, A, S as in Samuel, A, L as in Larry. So see you on Fireside soon, and I will see you back here next week for a brand new episode of Art Curious.